G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz and this is episode number 17 of the Outback Mine podcast. Another great guest along with us today, guys, a gentleman by the name of Robbie Klitzing. Many of you may have known or may know of Robbie, particularly if you live in WA or Victoria. Robbie uh, was a uh, breakfast announcer on Red FM in Perth uh, for quite a while, and now he's back in Victoria, originally a Victorian boy. He's working with Gold FM as an announcer, and uh, Robbie has got a really uh, interesting journey and story to tell. Uh, Rob and I actually played sport together, cricket, uh, back in Victoria uh, quite a few years ago now, and uh, when he was a young fellow, and um, we experienced male suicide there. So uh, I'd Rob and I are going to talk more about that and sort of how it impacted his life as a young fellow and also uh, give you a bit of a, uh, a story of how it impacted my life at the time, uh, being a little bit older and a little bit, um, uh, I suppose, more aware than Robbie uh, and sort of having experienced suicide before this particular occasion because it certainly rocked the, the town, only a small town of uh, about five 6,000 people and, um, yeah, it's lots of... Uh, Lots of uncertainty around that period of our lives, I guess, and uh, not, not many people knew how to handle it, so it will be great to, uh, you know, to get Rob's insight uh, as a young man and sort of how he got through the process, uh, as well as talking about his journey to coming from Barupna and uh, working his way through to becoming one of the, uh, I suppose, country's most loved uh, radio announcers. So sit back and enjoy our conversation. Robbie's a uh, beautiful young guy, and I'm sure you'll enjoy uh, what he has to say about life in general in WA, Victoria, and his experience up until now. Robbie Klitzing, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Uh, Aaron, thank you very much for having me today, mate. Uh, firstly, firstly, thank you for having me. But secondly, I just wanted to say to you, uh, well done on all the stuff that you have been doing, because I've been following your journey from a distance on the socials, and you know, you've done the book, and you're doing the podcast now, and all your yoga and meditation and it's just amazing to see all the good you're doing mate so it's a real honor to be on here today oh mate i'm really grateful i, I it's not why i do what i do i guess my whole purpose is to try and give you know, conf, conf content and also some tools to others to be help, help improve their lives you know I, I guess i come to where i am now through all the hardship and sort of come out the other side and what i want to try and do with this podcast and, and our conversations is to try and help guys uh, get to that other side quicker, you know, without having to go through all the, all the mess. And um, uh, if you can fast track that for people, great. If it's a slow process, it doesn't matter. But at least we're providing uh, some information to people that can help enhance their lives. So really grateful for you coming along, mate. And it's been a long time since we've, since we've had a chat, but I've always regarded you as being a, a great young fellow. And, and particularly, I've got a lot, of, a lot of time and respect for your dad, who's been a great, uh, great guy to me over the years. And uh, Mate, I know you've got such an interesting story coming from Marubna and you know, becoming a, a pretty uh, high-profile radio announcer in WA and now you're back in Victoria. But, mate, I'd love you to give uh, the listeners a bit of a, a journey of Robbie Klitzing's life from where you were back way back when, when we were playing cricket together to where you, uh, where you, are, where, where you are now. For sure, mate. So, um, yeah, I did grow up. I spent most of my childhood in Marubna where we met Aaron. Um, so we moved there when I think I was around about 12 or something like that, uh, new to town, we joined the cricket club. And of course that's, uh, where my family met you and, uh, all the great guys there at the club at the time. Um, and then from there, I sort of finished high school, went to uni in Bendigo, uh, did a business degree mm. and then went out and worked in insurance and mortgages for oh, till til I was about 27, so five or six years. And I kind of always had an interest in radio. It was something that I liked from afar, but I'd never really sort of had the guts to have a go at it. So I did a short course. Um, that went well. I did some work experience in Warrnambool, uh, which is not far from your original neck of the woods in Horsham. That's and true. Um, from there, mate, I started applying for jobs. I reckon I applied for about 60 or 70 jobs before uh, the radio station in Broome in northwest WA, probably as far away from Melbourne as you can get, <laughs> took me on. And my journey kind of started from there up in Broome, which was really interesting. Mm, unreal, mate. So, so was that with Red FM there, there or was it back in Perth? 
Uh, so Red FM was in Perth, but yeah. um, Spirit Radio was the sister station. Mm-hmm. And so essentially they ran, they ran two stations. One was the younger demographic, which was Red, but the other one was the older one, which was called Spirit. And they had local stations across Western Australia. So they had um, stations in Broome and Caratha and Port Hedland and Geraldton. Uh, and all these little towns across the northwest of um, Australia. So that's where I sort of got to go, where there, it was a town of probably about 3,000 people, I reckon. So mm. it was a pretty small one to start with. Unbelievable. Broon's an awesome place, mate, but it would have been a culture shock coming from Victoria up to that weather. <laughs> <laughs> mate, um, jumping off the plane for the first time. I mean, northwest Victoria is pretty hot during the summer, but it's a different yeah. heat up there, and just yeah. walking off the plane... And hit you and it took a long time to get used yeah. to but no once doubt. you're used to it it's a beautiful place i remember when i rocked up there mate i, I jumped off the plane same thing within about half an hour i was in uh, swimming at cable beach and i realized after about <laughs> 10 minutes that i was the only one that didn't have a stinger suit on so uh, <laughs> I, I was very lucky that i never got bitten but uh there you go that's uh that's a bit of uh i need or no education from my point of view to be able to go and uh look for pleasure without actually like reading the warning signs <laughs> yeah, there wouldn't have been much pleasure if you had to get some random guy to wee on your welts from a, yeah, from a, the stingers up there. Or pour vinegar down something. Yeah, that's it. So, <laughs> mate, that, that's unbelievable. You would have you would have experienced a lot of uh, trials and tribulations with men's health up there. I know when I was up uh, in that area um, years ago, I was there for work too, but primarily um, there was lots of indigenous uh, issues in the in the population. I actually worked around a few of those communities around Broome and, uh, and sort of experienced uh, you know, some men's mental health problems uh, first hand. But it'd uh, be great to hear your, uh, your um, observation of what you, what you actually saw in that particular region and how that sort of you know, differed from maybe country Victoria, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely a different world up there as far as um, just the way people live in general. I think it's a lot more of a an outback um, lifestyle where people are very remote. So you've got people who live out on um, cattle stations and all that sort of stuff out there, and you've got the Indigenous communities as well. So um, it's it's interesting because they kind of live out of town on those communities. Um, they, they do come in to town for footy and stuff like that and to do their shopping, then they'll head back out. Mm. But there's kind of a variance in the way a lot of them operate. Some of them are dry. Uh, some of them do have a few alcohol problems in there as well. Mm. But it's kind of one of those things where, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just different to what we're used to in Victoria where we all sort of live in town and that's about it, maybe out on a farm sometimes. But... Yeah. We're never so remote as what those guys are out there. Agree. Certainly, the the heat um, can can play tricks on you in, in those environments, and then also you know North Queensland and, and, and tea and so forth. But um, I still haven't. I'm living up here now. I still haven't found that sweet spot to be able to manage it quite well. Uh, so you know, <laughs> I, I guess um, you know you would have experienced Matt's size brewery quite a bit while you were there and went there for refreshments. <laughs> but uh, certainly, um, you know. Uh, it's interesting uh, demographic when we see you know people in different states and guys in different states and how they sort of manage themselves and how they function I, I guess so you know certainly uh, it would be would be really really great for, for the people listening in to uh, see how you manage your own well-being while you're in that particular area and how long did it take you to acclimatize and actually feel part of the community yeah fair call and it's interesting you say that about a beer in the hot weather because it can be a blessing and a curse mate because as you know it's so refreshing and it goes down beautifully but it's easy to have 10 like it's just so easy because you're dehydrated and um that sort of stuff it's just easy to i guess um drink a lot which Mm. is probably not a great thing um (laughs) from a mental health perspective at times but Mm. Uh, for me, I was pretty lucky because I was up there for work and it was my first job in um, a vocation that I really wanted to succeed in. So I was pretty focused on it. Mm. Um, so I'd go out for a beer on the weekend and it was a pretty social thing for me. Like we were always going to different events for the radio station and whatnot. So I didn't thankfully experience loneliness, but I know a lot of people who go up there as 
let's say, a nurse or uh, maybe a journalist or whatever it might be, uh, they can experience some really bad loneliness just for the fact that the town can be really clicky. Like, locals aren't really interested in talking to outsiders or blow into the town because a lot of people will only be there for a year or two and then they'll take off. So they, they kind of stick to their own. So it's definitely a, a hard place to get into the community if you don't really have a good reason to be there, I suppose. Yeah, very, very, uh, very good point, mate. Um, uh, certainly with our work life and our balance and that type of thing, when you go into a new environment, it can be challenging, uh, uh, particularly in a, in a small location like that. And a lot of it is focused around booze uh, primarily. And uh, you're right, you, you do look for it as for, for something to refresh you, but you've got to be able to find that balance uh, um, to be able to, to you know, move it through the body. So I know when I uh, was up there, I, I might have, have had a few beers and I'd go running the next day just to, to get rid of it primarily. But um, <laughs> when, you're, um, when you're sort of in that environment all the time, it can just be uh, like Groundhog Day going back to the pub or going back to having a few beers. And uh, yeah, that can really affect the way that we, uh, I suppose, uh, our, our awareness and our self-awareness and, and belief and you know, confidence and all those sorts of things, uh, you know, uh, are portrayed, I suppose, at the end of the day. For sure, for sure. And I think it's easy for people, especially when they're in a town where they don't know anybody and they feel really isolated from their fan, friends and family. If they're going home, they can go home and have a drink and that might turn into two or three and then some nights it might turn into ten. And it, as you say, it can turn into Groundhog Day where you're getting up, you're going to work, hungover, you might sweat it out at some point, but... You get in a real cycle of um, just, I suppose, struggle. I suppose struggle. I guess that's how people do start to get depression. Mm, absolutely, exactly, mate. And, and and there's not enough awareness around it, you know. So if we're if we're going to do something that has proven um, side effects, like alcohol, will will take you to that depressive state. You've got to be able to do some things to rebalance that, and uh, it's really important to acknowledge if you've done something that which isn't. Uh, I suppose, so great for you, although it might have provide some temporary pleasure, you're going to have a rebound effect to be able to sort of move uh, uh, move into that at some point in time, which is aka a, a hangover, you know, so uh, to be yeah. able to sort of, you know, manage that really well, and uh, if you do find yourself having a few beers, making sure you, you find that balance, that's a really good, um, really good observation that you actually made up there, and, uh, and how how rural areas can be affected by uh, by loneliness, primarily, primarily, which leads to um, you know overindulgence sometimes as well. I guess so. Yeah, good, good, uh, good point, mate. So from Broome, you headed back to Perth. Is that right? Uh, almost via Port Hedland. So I spent a year in Broome. Yeah. Um, and from there, I went to Port Hedland for two years. Now that's a mining town and. Um, that's another kettle of fish in itself when it comes to mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And after that, I went to Perth. Yes, yeah, yeah, mate. Well, I, well, look, you know, in most industrial towns like Gladstone, Port Hedland, Portland in Victoria, Sale, um, you know, Burnie in Tasmania, very, very similar. Uh, mining communities, very, very similar. So it's transient. Uh, people are there to earn money, get out, have a good time while they're there. Uh, the mental health issues in those particular areas, which I'm experiencing up here at the moment, are quite significant. Um, so to come, yeah, from from Country Vic into a uh, a holiday town like Broome, and then to go back somewhere like Port Hedland would have been quite uh, interesting for you. I would have thought it was, mate. I still remember the first day I got there. Um, it was it was during the boom, so there was a lot of miners around, and it was just a sea of orange shirts. Yes. <laughs> and the thing, I guess, that you add into the mix from what you just said earlier about mining towns is that there's a lot of FIFO work up there, and you see that in the WA towns as well as the Queensland towns a lot. And um, like, there's lots of feelings of isolation, I think, because it's usually two weeks on, two weeks off. So you fly away from your family for two weeks, and mm. you've sort of got to deal with long shifts as well as going back to a little room where you're just kind of sitting there by yourself and watching tv until you sort of fall asleep and get up and do it again mm. so as well as dealing with that you've also got your family at home that you're missing so it might be your partner it might be your kids as well as your friends and family in general so mm. there's a there's a lot of things that those guys are balancing and i really did see it firsthand you could sort of see a lot of my mates up there 
who um, might play for the cricket club on their two weeks on, uh, they were really looking for ways to kind of just, I don't know, deal with that loneliness in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's really important. It goes against our human nature to be disconnected. So when we go into that environment, we, we do really become disconnected and we feel isolated. And although the, the rewards are significant, it's not a, a career that many people can do for long. And if you are smart about it, you can do quite well. But if you're not aware and fully prepared to be able to go into that environment, uh, with your eyes wide open, then you can fall into the trap quite quickly. So um, I've, I've been around male workforces for a long time and I've seen the good and the bad and, and the bad certainly outweighs the good when it comes to, you know, certainly chasing the dollars, but also the consequences that uh, surround that can be quite uh, quite uh, unworthwhile. So Port Hedland would be uh, certainly a, an area that you um, you would get lots of guys coming in to earn the big bucks and uh, all the issues that go around that with bro- broken marriages, um, all those type of things. Unfortunately, as I've said many times, you know we're very educated to support the economy. But we don't have the awareness around ourselves to be able to notice where our emotions are going. And I still don't know whether employees have actually got it right yet to be able to give people the, the feedback while they're at work to keep them feel, feeling nourished and supported and, uh, and and grounded while they're there because it's such a big thing for a guy to be able to go away for a fortnight. When they get home, it takes a few days to get grounded. Um, usually uh, they'll, they'll spend a few days on the booze and then they'll turn around and go back and do it again. So it's working against our human nature to be able to, um, to, to be in that environment, very much like night shift and um, all the, the cycles that we sort of find ourselves in these days. Yeah, and the other thing um, as well, like feedback that we used to get from just talking to people was um, you'd have your partner at home, say, in Perth while you were working in, two, in Port Hedland for two weeks, and, you know, she'd get a routine and she'd have things worked out the way she liked it. And then, you know, a guy would come back from doing FIFO work mm. and all of a sudden her routine's out as well. So there's all those little issues you've got to deal with as well. So yep. I don't know. It's, it's a good moneymaker, as you say, but I think it's a single man's game in a lot of ways, <laughs> FIFO work. Well, mate, I'm a, I'm a victim of that myself. Like I was, uh, I was involved in a business and we were flying guys in and out of uh, Tasmania I was away from home a lot and my wife and I fell out of rhythm because of that, you know, and that, that sort of led to our separation. But um, you're, you're exactly right. Um, uh, you, you, your partner gets into the, uh, I suppose, the habit of being alone and doing your own thing. And when you come back, you sort of disrupt that. So it can be, uh, can be really, really challenging for both parties. So I don't know what the secret is to be able to do that really well. I'm sure there's some couples that do, but uh, in general, um, yeah, as you get older and you have kids and those sorts of things, um, yeah, usually you take your own path. And unfortunately, I was a little bit blindsided to that too. So you know, this is uh, why we're having these conversations to sort of try and help guys be a little bit more aware when they are in those sorts of situations uh to you know maybe maybe do some little things that can actually help their relationship inside and outside of work for sure it's interesting you say that too mate because I, I was the exact opposite to you where um i was doing a radio show and i got a new co-host who eventually became my fiance and we, we spent every waking moment together from yeah. work to holidays to home so we're on the exact opposite end of the scale to what you were at that time. <laughs> Incredible, mate. I'd like you to talk more about that now. You you would not have, in your wildest dreams, thought that you would have met uh, you know, the love of your life at work, primarily, I wouldn't have thought. No, no. Well, um, we kind of, we went into it professionally. Um, we, we had good professional intentions, um, but we just, we just gelled straight away. And, I mean, I, I reckon it was... Oh, maybe three months in that, you know, we sort of ended up get, getting together and we tried to hide it from the boss and all that sort of stuff who who knew straight away he wasn't stupid. Um, but it was really, it was a really nice way to be, to be honest, mate, like, because you'd go to work and, you know, when you sort of um, go to work and you try to share what, you know, you've been up to throughout the day and all that sort of stuff. Because we were doing such exciting stuff at a radio station, I didn't have to tell her about it. She was there experiencing it with me. So it was a really cool, unexpected um, thing to happen, which which has been amazing. We're due to get married soon, so it worked well. Mate. How old are you now, Robbie? Uh, 37. 37? Good no, on you, 38. Mate. Jeez, that's... Uh... 
That's good. You haven't rushed into it. You've gone on a big journey and you haven't rushed into uh, finding the right person. It's just sort of evolved for you when you were, I suppose, least expecting it. So that's a good thing. I suppose a lot of us guys, pardon me, fall into the trap of thinking we've got to find a partner, you know, do the do the right thing, get married, all those sorts of things, have kids, and then we come out of the relationship because we, we weren't too sort of sure about ourselves. So, uh, yeah, you, you've... Um, You've you've actually like gone through a, a tremendous journey uh, to to where you've got to now. So it sounds like your relationship's really solid, mate, which is awesome. Yeah, thanks, mate. And I mean, it wasn't intentional to um, I guess wait this long to get married. It's just the way things panned out. Um, I think you're right. Like it's it, it's been good because um, you sort of know who you are a little bit better when you get into your thirties, don't you? And you you pick the right person. So I, I think that's been really great for me, anyway. Before you say I love you, you first must understand I. And uh, yes. it takes a while for us to do that. You know, we don't understand that when we're young guys. Uh, it takes a while for us, uh, for our brains to develop, pretty much 25 it is. And um, then we uh, we sort of start to get a bit of a, uh, I suppose, uh, more aware of who we are. And if the right person comes along where it's just synergy, you don't have, um, you know, any uh, any real major indifferences, then the relationship can be beautiful. So. Um, yeah, mate, there's a lesson in that for, for all of us, that's for sure. So I'm looking forward to getting an invitation to your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not far away, mate, so as long as you can break those borders. If I can get back to Victoria, that's it. Robbie, um, it's really, uh, really beautiful to hear what you've actually been able to do to sort of step out of mainstream work, uh, you know, in, in insurance and those sorts of mundane sorts of roles, I'd suppose, like you, you might call them into something that you're actually passionate about to be able to, you know, use your experience and knowledge and uh, charisma to be able to, to speak on radio. Was that really difficult for you when you, when you started it or did you find it was just a natural transition? Um, no, it was definitely difficult when I first started. I, I mean, I really enjoyed it and I, I really wanted to be good at it, but Mate, the truth is when I started, I absolutely sucked. Like it was really about going to like a smaller town, a smaller station and getting your flying hours and just, I guess, learning how it's done. I mean, I think a lot of people kind of think it's just an easy thing to open up the mic and go for it. But there is definitely a lot of skills involved that you kind of pick up from the more experienced guys along the way. And I had to go through that process. It took me – I wouldn't have said I was even – I, wouldn't, I shouldn't have even been on the air until about three years in, I don't reckon. I was, I was hopeless to start with. Unreal, mate. But you, but you, you persisted and you know, look where it's taking you. That's, that's the thing in the journey to be able to sort of, you know, recognise that you weren't great but also continually improve and just, just not to uh, drop the ball, I suppose. Keep, uh, keep improving and coming back. Oh, exactly, mate, exactly. And, I mean... If you love what you do, and I'm so lucky that I got into an industry that I do really love, mm. you just keep at it anyway. And I guess that's half the battle, just having that passion to, I mean, keep persisting, as you say, really. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, and you know, when we, when we come into adult life, we go into careers and we don't really understand, or there's not many of us that actually really know what we want to do. So it took you quite a while to, to map that out. Uh, and, and once you sort of got there, you know, you, you didn't drop the ball, you sort of kept, uh, kept moving forward. And, and there is a lot of uh, uh, learning to be done in that when it comes to self-doubt because we always will doubt ourselves, but at the end of the day, our higher self will actually say, no, this is the path, this is what we've got to do. And if you moved out of that back into mainstream, you would have felt disappointed. So I speak to a lot of guys that, uh, that have a real passion for, for things, but they're too afraid to step into them because of uh, the security that they may have uh, being lost. Uh, you know, they might be in a job that's paying quite well, but they want to pursue something totally else, uh, totally different, which is really their heart calling. And um, to have the courage to be able to step into that, it'd be about one in a hundred guys that would actually do so, you know? So so for you to really sort of move away, go to a course and then, and then follow it, and then, you know, do it relentlessly to be able to move, you know, thousands and thousands of kilometers away is pretty, uh, pretty courageous, mate, but look where it's taken you now. And, and that, that, that was a decision that, you know, brought you to your partner. So um, lots, of, uh, lots of learning to be done and actually following our heart because when we're working in our purpose, then all these good things evolve and happen. Exactly, mate. And I think, I think the other thing about that as well is that um, when people get stuck in a job or they, they sort of know themselves as being a certain person and they think everybody knows 
um, them as that person as well. I think people don't make, make changes because they care about what people think and yeah. that's a massive part of it. But when it comes down to it, no one, everyone's more worried about themselves. Like yeah. you might have a few busybodies who gossip or something like that, but really if you want to make a change for yourself, I think most people will get behind you and um, encourage you, which is something to really think about. I agree, mate. Now, would you say living in a country town, we don't have that mindset? I think we're always worried about what people think about us consistently, you know. I, I really struggled. I love I love rural communities, but I really struggled when I was uh, less self-aware, uh, always thinking about what people thought and what you did and what people sort of, you know, response would be to a certain thing. Like playing cricket, you know, would you be judged on, uh, on your performances and those sorts of things because you're in such a small <laughs> community? And, uh, yeah, it can be challenging, but... Uh, for a guy to be able to come into life with, you know, some some self-assurity and some self-confidence and the ability to be able to um, to really understand who he is is quite unique. You know, I always saw you as a young fellow that was quite um, quite calm and relaxed and, and reasonably uh, you know self-aware. What what I wanted to talk about, Rob, was we played cricket with a few guys that actually took their own lives, and um, I was only pretty new to the club at the time. I was probably in my mid-twenties, a little bit older, and I had my own issues, and I was drinking a lot, uh, but I actually really loved the club, and I loved uh, playing that, that level of cricket, which I think was called A Reserve or something at the time, but we, we had some great cricketers in, uh, in, our, in, our, in our team, uh, some really good young guys that, um, that, that looked up to me, I don't know why, but one of them was, uh, was Terry, and... Um, Terry was a fast bowler, uh, just a really great kid, you know. Um, he got nine wickets one day. Um, he was just on fire. Yeah. Uh, he was on fire. And, uh, and Robbie Lay and I were just looking at each other. He got the other wicket and he felt embarrassed because Terry would have got, <laughs> got the 10. But um, now Terry was a great kid, but I used to love playing cricket with him because he was just so, so uh, energetic and inspiring. Now, I moved away and uh, I learned that Terry took his own life. Uh, and I, I know um, there was a couple of other young guys previous to, to that happening that took their own lives. Um, and it'd be good for you to, to, to give us a bit of an observation of how that affected you as a young fella. Yeah, for sure, for sure, mate. And I guess with Terry, he was you're right, he was energetic and... Um, he was so enthusiastic about his sport, his cricket and his footy, and he had the longest run-up I've ever seen on a fastball. Yeah, ball. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it was crazy, yeah, it was yeah. crazy. But, um, yeah, he was the sort of guy where you, where, you look, where you look at him from the outside and I just would never have picked um, that to happen. And uh, he wasn't a guy that I was overly close to, so I have no idea of whatever issues he was going through um but from a distance you you just as i said you wouldn't have picked it whatsoever mm. but um mate it was interesting because i came to the club as a as a 16 year old and it was pretty much at the exact same time you came you must have moved into town mm. um so we sort of saw the exact same things and um yeah to see uh, I, I think the first guy that i sort of saw um take his own life was Mick Williams, who was a 17-year-old. A uh, he worked in the local bottle shop. Uh, again, a guy that you would never pick it. He was just a really nice guy, mates with everybody, not overly outgoing, just a kind of nice, affable sort of fella. Mm. And, um, yeah, one night that was that had happened and uh, no one really picked it at the time. Mm. And I don't, from there, a kind of almost feels like it's a chain reaction of events where we saw four or five or six suicides in pretty quick succession. And I don't know, as a, as a young fella, as my first exposure to that, it was really confusing, to be honest. I, even to this day, I look back at it and I can't make sense of it at all because you just look at those guys from the outside and you just can't see mm. how or why it happened. Mm. Yeah, mate, what I know now is... When we, when we sort of uh, hit what is called the bottom of the pendulum, we find it really hard to get out of that. And uh, um, this is where these guys would have got to. So it's just a moment of insecurity which can make you be reactive, I guess. If we have the self-awareness around that everything will, will pass and we'll move through this, then we usually can come out. But 
uh, I guess in, uh, in those uh, locations and, and country towns, that sort of awareness wasn't there. Guys didn't speak about their emotions, how they felt for fear of judgment, I think primarily. I was one of them, you know, I know what it was like to, um, to, to worry about what people thought about you and the last thing you want to do was say you weren't feeling too good. So, so yeah, when, when Terry uh, took his life, I was, I was, I was, look, I wouldn't say I was, I was upset, well, I was upset, but I, I wouldn't say I was angry, but I just felt the, the kid never had the um, support around him to be able to, to move him through this. So I did understand he got into some drugs and stuff like that, which wasn't him. You know, there must have been something underneath uh, all of this to make him sort of go that way. And I think he was hanging around a few people that probably weren't, uh, weren't great for his mental health. But, um, uh, you know, I, I wish I could have uh, had a conversation with him prior to this because I... I would have been able to help him with what I know now and maybe what I knew back then because I had experienced suicide uh, with, uh, with some friends of mine uh, previously uh, when I was you know, younger and um, sort of what led to that. And one guy um, that I wrote about in my book, uh, he, he is very similar character to Terry, you know, uh, very confident mm-hmm. and all those sorts of things. I, just went, I think he went through a low point and, and couldn't come out the other side, you know, in a, in a hurry. So... Uh, very similar similar situations and when when I heard about what happened to Terry I would automatically thought back to to this young fella and um, yeah what could actually have been done to prevent it yeah and it's it's one of those things that it just doesn't have to be this that way I I heard your podcast with Pete Murray the other week and um, I, he touched on that as well that like these things do pass no matter how bad it gets and yeah, I don't know. If you can speak to the right person or you can find someone you can confide in, I'm sure in a lot of cases this can be prevented. Yeah, absolutely. And see, mate, this is I've been really passionate about this for years, about workplaces and clubs going to another level just to, 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 to wrap their arms around young people and let them know yeah. that it's okay to talk about what's going on in their life no matter what um, without fear of judgment or whatever. And... This is where clubs can play a really good role because we sort of get spat out of school with a lot of insecurity uh, and then we go into a workplace and usually that's the same unless you've got a good employer that actually understands uh, how to value their people and uh, sometimes uh, if you are feeling vulnerable, you've got nowhere to go for support. So if you have got that network within your own uh, sporting club or your uh, your work environment, that is such a, a golden thing to have because... Uh, you can rely on that. It makes you a healthier, happier employee, healthier, happier sports person, someone that's really enjoying um, you know, their life at that time. So, uh, so there's lots of work still to be done in that area. I think things have improved quite a bit, but there's still a bit to be done, mate. Another, another situation was, um, was a, an older guy uh, by the name of Kim. Uh, now, uh, I played cricket with him, and I actually, when I... When he played in my club, I felt myself lift. Uh, sorry, in my team, I felt myself lift. I went to another level, and I, I this is the thing with me, Robbie. Like I, I, I never reached my ability when I was younger. Uh, I was too busy yep. drinking and all that too, you know. And when it, when I got to play with him, I actually like felt like I was I was important, and I um I could contribute, and and I didn't have any self doubt because I knew he could carry me, and he was saying the positive things on the field and all those sorts of things, and uh, uh you know. I was. This is another thing. I was. I was playing golf um, that weekend at Royal Melbourne, uh, and I wasn't much of a golfer, mind you. But I ended up getting invited down there through winning some some thing at Rubina Golf Club, and um, uh, I got back and got a phone call to say our Shugs has you know knocked off, uh, knocked himself off. So I went round to the club there. There was you know Barks and there was Ox and Rick Hellman just having a beer, and I. I, I was I, I actually like had flashbacks of what happened with these these guys that I mentioned before and I I really wanted to talk about that with them uh, because they were like quite still in shock and they were sort of reverting to booze uh, to help comfort them um, yeah you know which is okay but um, just to, to really you know give them my my observation and, and how I how I saw it and and you know these guys were much closer to him than I was mind you but um, uh, just to understand why this actually happened. And I know there were some situations at home or circumstances at home which, which led to that. And um, 
Yeah, similar similar story, mate, with him. Uh, he just didn't know perhaps who to go to, uh, who to speak about this, but maybe fear of judgment, primarily again. The men come from a small country community uh, in the Mallee, and uh, obviously that was uh, a taboo thing to do, to speak about your emotions, and I just think that he was at that bottom of that pendulum at the time and, 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 and acted on that uh, because we just... We just find that, that insecurity and uncertainty too hard to, 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 to move through. But at the end of the day, mate, it's only temporary. I was very lucky to learn Buddhism years ago, and they, they actually taught me uh, that everything is impermanent. So, you know, what we're having uh, now through this conversation, uh, it's going to be listened to uh, quite heavily, I would have thought, over the next few weeks, and then it'll drop away. Uh, so we can have excitement with what we're doing now, but that excitement will, will fade away, as will the suicidal thoughts, you know. So the suicidal thoughts will move on. We've just got to understand that this will happen. And if that gentleman um, you know, had been able to observe his emotions better at that time, he'd be still with us uh, 20 years on, uh, which is a real shame. But there was lots of learning that's come from such a, a tremendous um, tragedy, I guess, at the end of the day. But... Um, yeah, mate, uh, male suicide and, um, and mental health is such an important thing. And I just, as guys, believe that we've got to really wrap our arms around each other as individuals, no matter what colour, what religion uh, we are, who, who we barrack for in the AFL, all that sort of stuff doesn't matter. You know, we're all here to have an experience uh, and that is to do it, you know, to our, our capacity and what you've actually been able to do to come out of a profession that which you weren't great at, to come into something that you really love, that is actually within all of us, mate. We've all got the ability to be able to move away from what's making us not feel good and then move towards something that actually does make us feel good. But I think we're just too afraid to actually uh, explore and, uh, and go towards that. Oh, 100%. And I mean, in this day and age, there's so many options as well, isn't there? Uh, I mean, if there's always going to be something that you can find that that you love and uh, it's it's just hard i guess there's still those traditional jobs where we're moving away from it and you know anyone can start a podcast now for example and um what you're doing is great in that regard and i know you love your uh work and it's an extension to that but hey even if you don't love your job you've got a passion you can you can make a podcast or you can make a website or you can be involved in forums and groups so there is that outlet it doesn't necessarily have to be your job but you still need to find some passions in life i think oh, I agree. Um, that's and probably the key there to have balance that's that's it mate so so i wanted to do a podcast for years and it wasn't until i was pushed that i actually like i, I did it and i've still got to get better at it but at least i'm i'm i'm, I'm, I'm having a go and i'm doing it and um um, that's something that I feel really comfortable with. You know, I, I feel, feel really comfortable actually having these conversations, uh, you know, with people like yourself that can give real life experience because I know how powerful that can actually be to help individuals. So there'll be someone out there listening to this that may have uh, a bit of a rocky patch in their life that may find something from our conversation that will help lift them up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I mean, the organisations that you work with, I'm sure that you refer different people who contact you um, after they listen to the different people that you speak to on the podcast and maybe they hear some situations that they've encountered which are similar to what they're going through now. And um, yeah, and, maybe, and even outlets that you sort of run with now like meditation and yoga and all those sort of things that... Um, I should probably do for a more calmer life, but, but I don't. Um, I, I'm sure they're great for just getting people calm and sort of getting them a lot more centred as well. Yeah, mate, be, being calm is our natural state. Now, now in Eastern cultures, it's all about providing that, that stability for an individual to help nurture them into life. But in Western society here, it's pretty much go to school, you know, be put in fear really early, and then they've got you on the back foot straight away so they can start selling your stuff as you probably know through radio. <laughs> we, 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 we better not talk about that too much. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so to have self-awareness practices that actually help keep you grounded are really important, particularly in the simulated world that we find ourselves in now. Uh, so at 37, mate, um, life would have been totally different for you uh, up until the age of 12 to 15 to what it is now. So the last 22 years, you've, you've seen a lot of 
a lot of change as an individual as I, uh, I am, you know, I'm 10 years old, older than you, but you know, there's, there's people that, that come to my men's circles that are 20 years older than me and, and they've seen so much change in their lives, mate. Black and white TVs, uh, coloured TVs, mobile phones, all this. And all of a sudden we've got pandemics and we're, we're at social media and all these different things that are trying to grab our attention, you know. So to have a self-awareness practice that you can do every morning, I think is absolutely critical for every human being on the planet. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it's interesting you say that as well. I wonder if people our age in, say, the 50s, for example, if they thought, you know, we're, we're on the cutting edge here. That, it can't get any more crazy than this. We've got a black and white TV and, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just so yeah. interesting how things have progressed and how much more we're dealing with, like, how, how much our brains are stimulated every day. Like, yes. it must be a thousand times more. Oh, 100%, mate. And, uh, and really what meditation does in the morning is it gets you back through the gears. So, you know, from sixth, fifth, all the way back to neutral. Once you're in that neutral space and you realise that you are one with everything uh, around you, you know. So to be able to, to get back to that state is the, the feeling that you had when you were a little boy uh, that actually like was just in the moment more. So meditation will, will help get you back to that stage. And um, we, all, we all have got the ability to be able to do that. It's just about being um, uh, able to find a practice which gets, gets you grounded. And you know, Paul Ruse and I spoke about this on the first podcast that I did, which was really, um, really poorly done, mind you. But anyway, we, 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 we did it. And um, uh, certainly, yeah, like he's been practicing meditation for over 20 years and look at the results of that, you know. Uh, so it doesn't matter whether you're an AFL coach or whether you're a boiler maker or whether you're a, a DJ, a radio announcer, or uh, you know someone working in a supermarket. To be able to come back to base every day, every morning, just helps you, um, I suppose, understand life as you go through your day. To be able to, you know, come back to feeling that sense of calm again. So if you do find yourself as a male in a su- suicidal state. Uh, to be able to sort of reassure yourself that this is this is my base here. I'm away from my base. What do, what can I do to get back to that? For sure. Actually, one thing I wanted to ask you was um, my dad. He's a he's a he's quite the fan of you, Aaron. He uh, he's got your book. He's read it, and um, I know he talks to you about dietary stuff from time to time. And um, he he was uh, fasting quite a bit for a while there, and he was doing juice diets and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, do you feel like, uh, on top of meditation and yoga and being centered, do you feel like diet has a big thing to do with it? Oh, look, absolutely, mate. The, the mental, the mental health that comes from gut health is is certainly no secret. Um, if you've got a lot of a lot of heavy food in your gut consistently and it's weighing your emotions down, then your emotions will go all over the place. But if you're feeling you know, quite vibrant and um, you know, energized by the food that you're eating, then that will really play a part in um, the way you feel mentally, and uh, also the environment that you're in too. So you know, being in Broome, being in where I am at the moment, you're getting thrown out of whack because you're in and out of aircon, and your your nervous system and your immune system is constantly trying to readjust, and that will take your uh, your mental um, uh, capacity to all sorts of places unless you're aware enough. So. Yeah, I know this afternoon, like I left the office like really tense. I was under fluoro lights all day uh, and, you know, jump in a car, drive an hour and a half, deal with a client or manage a client um, that was quite challenging. Then another client after that, come home, now I'm, on, I'm talking to you. So I had to get grounded before we had this conversation, you know. Uh, and I would be different now than what I would be talking to you in the morning. I'd be, I'd be sort of back from second year back to, first, back to neutral again, you know. So... It's a matter of being able to to understand where you're at with your emotions, and certainly uh, by what you're putting into your body can have a significant uh, part to play with regards to the way you feel mentally. Now, if you look at modern society now, Rob, we're getting constantly distracted from that. It's all about eating pizzas and drinking beer and um, um, eating you know fast food and all that sort of stuff, which is great for the economy, but the individual is suffering at the end of the day. So on the other end of that, you know, the gut is gut is in is in in distress consistently. So to be able to find balance with that, people go to medication to try and you know neutralise it. But really, if you can actually like be aware that you are giving your body something that it's got to deal with, uh, and that 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 
dealing with is going to cause imbalance physically and mentally unless it's actually what the body uh, is designed to consume. So what your dad's doing is actually trying to reset himself, uh, but he's got the awareness now uh, in his 60s to be able to know what it is that helps him feel good. And this is what we don't understand. We don't understand in our 60s that we can't eat what we did in our 40s, and in our 40s we can't eat what we did in our 20s, and when we were 20 we can't eat what we, what we did when we were 10. So a lot of us have sort of come into adult life still consuming the same diet and then wondering why we're getting reflux and all these noises happening in our body. It's our body trying to teach us, but our ego is too big to be able to sort of listen to what's going on. So this is where meditation can really help you become self-aware so you can um, understand what's going on in your body and why it's reacting a certain way. For sure. And do you find like with, um, I guess, with meditation as well, like a lot of people probably don't sit down and, you know, take five or ten minutes or go deeper and take an hour or whatever. Mm. But um, I don't know, like, for example, walking the dog, I find that if I go for a wander, uh, put the phone away, um, really just have no distractions except for, you know, walking my dog and, you know, giving you a pat every now and again and just having a bit of a think. I find that to be quite relaxing. Is that Absolutely. kind of along the same vein? Absolutely, mate, it is because it's it's doing something that settles your nervous system down and, you know, going down, down the gears, as I suggested. So you're doing something that's really grounding you. You're, you're, uh, you're embracing another another living being whether it be a dog or whatever it is you know you're actually like uh communicating with uh with another another life form and um and that's that's taking your awareness away from worrying about the past or the future <laughs> so that, that's that's where the mind will take you and if your gut health in uh imbalance and your mind will be all over the place you know the human mind and the human brain is is designed to be reactive and um you know it's very very powerful but at the end of the day rob Here's, uh, here's a bit of a, uh, uh, a curveball for you. So the head was telling you to go and earn money uh, doing your job in insurance, but your heart was saying, I want to do radio. So it's no different to you, um, you know, being with your dog and going for a walk because you're in your heart. And when you sit in meditation or when you're doing something that keeps you grounded, that's when you come out of the head and you give your mind a rest. And it's really important we give our minds a rest. If we're stimulated all the time, that's when disease starts to happen physically and mentally. And uh, getting back to the heart center and what makes you feel good is, is so important. So that's why I was really keen to get you on to have this conversation because you've started to pursue your passion now. And that's living more from your heart than your head. And uh, if you're living more in that space, then, then things will take care of themselves. Your partner's arrived. You know, the right things will come into your life because you're living more grounded, balanced, and, uh, you know, in alignment with who you really are. Totally agree with you, mate, there. Um, I guess one thing that I've actually found lately um, with all the distractions that we do have in the world is that um, it's just a small thing, but the Facebook app that's on my mm. phone, I've actually, I've deleted it, right? Mm, so yeah. every now and again, I'll go on the internet and just have a check. But you can find yourself getting really deep into that app yeah, three or four times a day. And if you look at your like your usage, your app usage on the phone, like you can you can kill two hours a day yeah, on Facebook, yeah. for example, and yes. it doesn't make you feel any better. It makes you feel worse at the mm, end of it. That's true. Absolutely, mate. We've all fallen into that trap. You know, we really have. Uh, you know, yeah. we, we use it to communicate, particularly if you're in uh, broom or you're in a FIFO job or you're living in a location where you haven't got that support network around you, then you'll be looking for connection. And as humans, we, we, we need connection. You know, we want connection. We crave it. Um, like everything on this earth, they're, they're all, all the birds are flying together. You know, um, all the animals are interacting together. But when we're separate, then we're not being who we really are. So we're looking for connections. This is why Facebook, and that's become, you know, a beautiful thing in some ways, but also a trap in many others. Oh, definitely, definitely. And, mate, if you walk onto the 75 tram near my house, um, it's just a, it's zombies oh, these no, days. Yeah, like, absolutely, it's just yeah. zombies. Yep, I've, I've been in Melbourne and experienced it plenty of times, and I, I, I just, yeah, I, I, I stand in disbelief looking at everyone, just looking at their device, not communicating and talking to each other. So... Um, you know, it's, it's disconnecting us in many ways. We think we're connecting, but we're also disconnecting in many ways. So it's a, 
it's amazing world we're in now, mate. So this is why doing these mindfulness practices are so important because it brings us back home again and uh, to be able to be aware of the distractions when they arise. For sure, mate. And I think it also just brings us back around to what you were talking about before. I think even with um, the suicides that we saw uh, back in Maroopna 25 years ago, and I'm sure they're still happening to this day, is that with social media, I think it's really easy to disconnect from people because you can just have a quick chat on Messenger or you can scroll through and like a few pictures and feel like you've caught up with people, but you don't sit down and have those conversations anymore. Like if I was to sit down with you and say, oh, what you been up to? You'd tell me, oh, you know, I went to dinner at this nice place the other day and I'd go, oh, yep, yep, I know, I saw it, I saw it. You never ask people to describe what they did anymore (laughs) because you've seen pictures of it already. And I think that's a big problem. Yeah, it is, mate. My word, it's very, uh, very short, time poor type communication. You know, you, you snap at it, you get it out of the road, and you move on. And uh, yeah, the the, the heart centered conversations uh, where we can sit down and describe our experiences are very, very rare these days. So, so these podcasts are actually really good because it's actually giving us an opportunity to be able to talk more deeply about things rather than just sort of you know quick conversation, see you later, move on. So. You know, you and I could talk for hours, mate, but we need to keep uh, this pretty short so people don't get bored. So, I'll, uh, <laughs> <laughs> mate, um, how can people get in touch with you? You're, you're, you're working for Gold FM in Melbourne now, is that right? Yeah, correct, mate. So I'm um, doing on-air shifts for Gold. Um, I guess if people want to get in touch with me for any reason, they can jump on. Well, I'm not really on Facebook anymore, am I? So they can jump on uh, my Instagram, which is just my name, Robbie Clipson, yeah. and shoot me a message or something like that. That's probably the best way, I reckon. Yeah, it'd be great if some people did hear this and they shot your message and said you enjoyed our, our chat. So um, I'd love uh, for anyone listening to, to uh, you know, touch base with Robbie and, uh, and let him know that you enjoyed our conversation and pass this conversation on to other people that it may help because I think we've touched on some really relevant points here with regards to to men's health and uh, you know particularly uh, in regional and rural areas that uh, that Rob's actually worked in and experienced uh, what's going on in those locations. So thank you very much for your time, Rob. Really appreciate it, brother. Uh, brother. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we won't uh, wait another twenty years before we have a chat again. <laughs> no, mate. Um, it'd be good to see you in the flesh at some point over the next twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, mate, uh, my dad is an absolute fan of you. He, he loves you, uh, but, mate. Growing up, I always thought you were the best bloke, and um, it's just great to see that you're doing so well and really uh, spreading the the positive mental health word and uh, helping a lot of people, mate. You're doing a great job, so keep it up, and I'll be listening to more episodes to come. Oh, good on you. Appreciate it. There you go, guys. Robbie Klitzing, great young fella. Um, yeah, he's very, uh, very obliging. Um, really appreciate uh, the feedback I got from Robbie and uh, his uh, his journey's so awesome. Hey, so he's been able to you know follow his dream and do something he's really loving now, and that's that's within all of us. So, if you're finding you're not uh, really uh, really thriving with your, your your job or something in your life, maybe look at uh, some some ways and strategies on how you can actually move out of that. Robbie just went and did a short course and all of a sudden he's got a career uh, which is you know really taking him places. So thanks for joining me guys. If you want to touch base, support at outbackmind.com.au, uh, website www.outbackmind.com.au. Uh, yeah, really appreciate your feedback and uh, really appreciate your support listening to the podcast. Have a great, uh, great day, whatever you're doing. Cheers.